Hey, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy DM Prep. This is a weekly show shot 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Twitch in which I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday D&D game. In this case, I am running the hardcover Wizards of the Coast adventure, Rime of the Frostmaiden. This show, uh, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. You too can become a patron of Sly Flourish by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish and signing up. Patrons get all kinds of exclusive access to early previews of Sly Flourish stuff, uh, exclusive access to adventures, adventure generators, uncovered secrets, and all kinds of other things. Uh, but most of all, patrons help support this show and all of the shows like it that I do. So thank you very much to the patrons of Cyflourish. We are in the middle, we're right at the end, I would say, of chapter one of Rime of the Frostmaiden. And uh, the last, what, what are the last things that happened? The characters just defeated Moose Jaws and the druid Ravison. Uh, they learned about the Temple of the Moon, which is a temple to the goddess Illustrae. They learned that it can be moved from place to place by performing an interpretive dance. And they began their journey from the north down to the south, heading to the town of East Haven, where they've learned that ghosts are stealing things and they wanna get involved there. Along the way, they have, uh, one of the characters has a Mind Flayer symbiote in his head. And on the journey, they learned that strange, st that strangers were going from town to town asking if anybody was acting weird, if their eyes were dilated at different sizes, if they seemed to know things they shouldn't know or had the ability to read people's minds, things like that. And the characters have learned that, yeah, these, these creatures aren't from this world that are looking around. And in fact, they are Githyanki. Uh, so at the end of the session, they were walking out of Lonelywood, heading south. And along the path, they ran into three strangers standing in front of them who all kind of drew their hoods back and showed their yellowish skin, pointy ears, reddish hair, and, you know, and silvery swords and said, we have something we'd like to talk to you about. So they're about to face a Githyanki hunting party. So what's going on with this? What's going on with this is a mind flayer, an illithid nautiloid, uh, and, and a ship, an illithid ship. The illithids and mind flayers are the same. An illithid ship crashed here in Icewind Dale uh, about 20 or so days ago. And mind flayers got out. And in some cases, they're, you know, seedlings and little symbiotic, symbiotic pod things got out. And like one of the characters was infected by one of these. And maybe other people have too, we don't know. In my interpretation of this game, something that I wanna add to Rime of the Frostman that I think would be fun is if, is if the Githyanki had actually shot the Nautiloid out, like they're flying through the astral sea and a Githyanki warship shoots the Nautiloid ship and it manages to just warp through the astral sea into the, into the prime plane, into, into Toral. And then it crashes and the, 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 the Illithid ship or the Githyanki ship is like, okay, we got to send someone out there. So they send scouts out there to say, did we destroy it or did it get free? And if it got free, you're going to have to let us know because we're going to have to send in a bunch of red dragons and a bunch of other Githyanki and wipe that whole section of the world clean. Maybe they'll destroy the whole world itself. This is all part of a, cam a 20th level campaign that I wanted to run uh, or that I wrote about on Sly Flourish called Harvester of Worlds. Uh, I will paste it here in the chat. And Harvester of Worlds 
is kind of a, it's a campaign outline for running a 20th level Illithid versus Githyanki campaign, right? That involves all kinds of fun stuff. And I liked a lot of the ideas in here. And it turned out that Rhyme of the Frostbane is a great place to kind of seed this stuff in. So that's what we're doing is we're seeding in it. And I don't really know where it's going to go. I don't know if it's going to be that big a deal or not, but I think it might be fun. So I wanted to do it. So, uh, yeah, so that was where the session ended last week. Uh, some people like, would like to know, like, sure, but what did you actually use from the last session? So let's take a look at the notes. So they started meeting the drow dancer, Latonia Moonwell. She healed them up and she gave them some of their spells back. Uh, they almost got killed by... Moose Jaws, Ravison, and two Direwolves was the fight. And that was a really hard fight. I have to remember that my Wednesday group is much more, is much, has a much better ability to handle damage than my Sunday group because this Wednesday group has a Twilight Cleric. And Twilight Clerics are broken. So I have to throw a lot more damage on them. And I'm, I've been kind of carrying that over into this one. And that hasn't been the best idea. So I should, I should take it a little bit easier. So they did all that. Yeah, they, they went, they saw the spirit. They figured out the sarcophagus. They um, got healed. They went in the temple. They fought Ravison and the moose. They returned to Lonelywood and they got front, confronted by the Githyanki hunter. So scene-wise, it happened exactly like I, I thought. And they knew about the next stages. They knew about the thieving ghosts in East Haven. They knew that the Psy Crystals learning the location of the crashed ship. Uh, and they learned about a, a gnome, the gnome in the Endless Night. But they are choosing to go to East Haven. So secret-wise, a bunch of the Githyanki stuff they learned. They, I guess they learned about the Githyanki warship shot down an Illithid ship, which crashed in Icewind Dale. They learned that. I don't remember where. They learned that Githyanki are hunting mind flayers or anything may have infested. They know that. So secret-wise, I used a lot of the secrets up that I had in the last, that, that I, I prepped for the last game. But again, not all of them. All right, a lot of this stuff didn't come up. Auken, for example, the player wasn't there. So, and Ilda, I think, showed up late. So Ilda, the stuff with Auken and Ilda didn't happen. Ghost invading the southern towns only seems to steal things made of Shardalon. So that hasn't happened yet. So some of these secrets are probably carry over, um, but, but not a lot of them. So that's what happened in the last session's game. Oh, and they got the weapon. So now um, I should add it to it. So Candle, boy, is jacked up with new magic items. He's good on magic items for a while. So let's create a new session. We do so by clicking this generate session planning template. And bang, and we go, and today is the six. First thing we do is review the characters. So for our characters, we have uh, Ilda. Ilda is the daughter of two members of the cult of Oral that are like the Malfoys from Harry Potter. She is actually the daughter of a Goliath uh, who is very likely to be Auken's father as well. So she is the half-sister of of, of uh, Auken. She's trying to find her place. She likes uh, cranky old women uh are, are her model she wants to she wants to be one when she gets older she thinks they're pretty awesome yes yeah, figuring out her place in a world with both oral and the creature named thrun and the question is is she an is she a child of thrun is she a child of oral is she just a normal person what's the what's the question there um we have auken dongcaller auken is a goliath of the of the worm dune crag i really want to bring in the worm dune i want to bring in you know some like Auken's family i think it would be really fun one of the things i really should add into chapter two is making sure that that they return back to Auken's home and that that becomes maybe a new center base you know new kind of interesting information something like that could be really fun shadowhawk is a uh, former member of a former drow of Menzo Baranzan, now being hunt, former member of House Zalaran, now being hunted by the Knight's Kiss Assassins. There's lots of groups hunting the characters. I got lots of villains happening here. 
and the first ones they ran into. And he is the one that had, he actually has two groups coming after him. Those two groups are the Knight's Kiss and also this, these Githyanki, this, these Githyanki hunters. Gore Wen Alcazar is a member of the Wen Alcazar and Associates uh, group. They, he successfully got his rival arrested for a crime she did not commit. And now she is locked up in Revel's End. Is a secret member of the Great Castle family and is carrying around an amulet that is possessed by the ghost of Janth Alwar, who is a member of the Arcane Brotherhood. Really handy to have like a possessed ghost or spirit or an intelligent magic item that is also a vehicle for secrets and clues and a vehicle for cooks to take them to different places. And we have a few. The Psy Crystal can draw people in or out or away from places or towards places. This ghost can draw people. So there's lots of good ways to, um, you know, when you have like, companion personalities that aren't NPCs really, but are vehicles for secrets and clues and vehicles for character hooks, it pays off a lot of dividends. Perrin Fat Rabbit is a conspiracy theorist, uh, halfling ranger, mentor of Ilda, and is convinced that there are, there's a conspiracy going on and is not wrong about it and is about to find out a lot more when facing the Githyanki. Candle in the Dark is a uh, tabaxi rogue whose family used to work for the Xanathar and is now on the run and is being hunted by an assassin named Bellard Ebenhart, Shakar Bellard, the Ebenhart, uh, a, a nasty assassin who is on the hunt looking for him, sent by the Xanathar. It's kind of a fun little Regis and Artemis and Trary sort of thing. So those are the characters. Fun, fun times. I'm, I'm really enjoying this group and I enjoy the games that we run. Uh, so the strong start is, uh, I need a cool Githyanki, uh, the silver, the silver claw, silver claw Githyanki hunters seek those influenced by the mind flayers. So I don't know how this is going to go. That's not going to be a fight. I have a feeling it's just going to be a fight, but it could be really interesting. The scenes are facing the Githyanki and then probably they're, they're traveling through a variety of towns. So they're going to Targos and I don't know what's going to happen there. They're going to Bryn Shander and then they're going to East Haven. The burning, when they go to East Haven, they're going to have the burning of the mage. And then they have sort of two quests, the lost fisher folk, the stolen, stolen Shardalon. All right, those are two quests there. But then there's a couple of other quests, the Black Cabin quest and the Crashed Ship. A lot of things there. Then once they're done with the Shardalon quests, the, the, the Stolen Shardalon and the Duergar, they will get the, 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 the journal of the Burning Mage and find out the, the Burning Mage uh, material. So let's see. This leads to the Lost Journal. That leads to the, uh, the Spire from chapter two as well. So we have a lot of different hooks. We're starting to get into, we're starting to get to uh, chapter, why is this, this shouldn't be. We're starting to get into the chapter two stuff, right? And one problem is, and, and I've discovered this, I was actually talking to Jeff Greiner and Sam Dillon about this on Behind the DM Screen, which you should check out if you haven't. One thing about running Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, a, 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 a tip that I will offer probably too late, you know, 14 minutes in, you really don't want to have more than three quests in front of the characters at any given time. More than three quests and things get too complicated. If you have a way to pull quests off, all the better. But generally speaking, you only want about three quests. More quests than that, and they're scattered all over the place, and it's going to take forever for them to finish them all. And it's going to be really hard to go make any progress in the adventure. Sadia134 asks what level the PCs. They are currently fourth level. They will be fourth level until they are completely done with chapter one quests. And then I might have them go to fifth. The characters are about one level higher than I would like, but the problem is the campaign is taking longer than I would like as well. 
and I don't want them to not level after like 20 sessions. Keeping the three, yeah, and the three quests thing is, is useful beyond Frostmaiden. That's keeping three quests in front of the characters at any given time is probably useful no matter what. It's something that, two to three quests, and it's something that the um, adventures in the Essentials Kit, the Dragon of Icebar Peak did very well. And I think that it works well here, but it's hard to do because they're going to a lot of places. So you don't want them to learn too much. So in fact, the Lost Fisher Folk I think I'm gonna yank that one from the list. They met the hag already. So what would be another hook that would take them there? I don't know. I think the Lost Hit Fisher Folk quest might still be okay. The interesting, they've already met her because she wandered out in the woods. They saw her when they fought an ice troll and she told them all the things about how to chop up an ice troll. And then everyone's like, I'm pretty sure she's bad, but they thought she was oral. So that could be really interesting. In fact, that should be a secret. Maud Chiselbone. So the secret is Maud Chiselbone doesn't live in East Haven. Like she said, she lives in an old cave north of the town along the ice wall next to Care Dineval. Four fisher folk went missing north of East Haven. No one wants to go to Maud to figure out what happened. So that's a fun quest. It's a fun quest. I like it, and I don't want to knock it off the list yet. But I, it means that I have to be careful of the other, the other quests and what's in front of the characters. So we need some Githyanki secrets, right? What are the secrets? So the Githyanki shot down a an illithid nautilid uh, over Icewind uh, as it as it pierced as it went through the astral sea, the astral plane into Icewind Dale. They lost track of it after that. What else? Uh, the Githyanki hunters want to know how much influence the mind flayers have over the region. Too much, and they will have to burn it to rock. Mind flayers breed by transmorphing humanoids into mind flayers. They spread quickly and are terribly dangerous. Mind flayers want to build a uh, elder brain to rule over their enclave. No such elder brain exists yet in Icewind Dale. It might be kind of fun if Pinky, Pinky watches. So Pinky is a uh, cranium rat and Auken used to hold him. And then they said, we don't like this thing. And they tried to shoot it with Eldritch Blast and it ran away. But I have a feeling Pinky's been keeping an eye on them. And I think Pinky will be keeping an eye on them now. Pinky also knows the way to the crashed ship. So uh, so that would be cool. Any other Githyanki stuff? Is there a hidden Githyanki ship? I wonder what a Githyanki ship looks like. There's a hidden Githyanki ship, including a number of hunters, a knight, and her young red dragon. They've been sent here. So there's actually a good-sized band of Githyanki on the hunt. I've been here 30 seconds, and already Pinky is my favorite NPC. Yep, Pinky was a great NPC. And they still shot it with an Eldritch Blaster, tried to. Four, five, six, seven. I need three more secrets. What other secrets could they learn? Any other things that they want to know? Yes, uh, we can drop the hook for, I know I, I might be violating my own rule, but we're going to drop the hook for the Black Cabin. Six months ago, Macradius, a sage and devout follower of Lathander, formed a plan to end Oral's everlasting winter. He's been working on this plan in a cabin outside of where? Here it is. This map, by the way, is really important to, to hang on to because it's got all the spots of all the locations of all the things going on. North of Lonelywood. Well, they were just there. They were just north of Lonelywood, so they'd have to go back again. 
that kind of sucks. I could make it south just for ease, right? Just have it. Because like it kind of sucks that they were just in Lonelywood and now you know the Black Cabin is right outside and they got to go all the way back up there again. Seems like a pain in the ass. So I think we're going to move it. And where might be an interesting place? We could have it sort of south of Dugan's Hole along the Red Waters. That's where travel gets to be a pain in the ass, right? Like if, uh, where's the love for Thumper? Oh, uh, what happened to Thumper? Thumper was, oh God, yes. Let's talk about Thumper. I need to talk about Thumper. So who is Thumper? Thumper is a very important NPC in the last game. Thumper was the caller for Moose Jaws. Where's Thumper? There's Thumper. So Thumper was the caller for Moose Jaws, right? And loved to talk shit to the characters about how Moose Jaws was going to eviscerate him and stuff like that. And throughout the battle, so Thumper was in the final battle with Ravison and the two dire, the two awakened dire wolves and Moose Jaws. And Thumper would kind of like run around and like, you know, I, at one point, one of the characters was at full hit points and Moose Jaws charged him and hit him with the gore and rolled like a lot of damage and hit him for like 40 points of damage and went from full to zero. You know, one of the other characters was like behind a cave. So just saw Moose Jaws go run across and then saw the spray of blood come out the other side. Didn't know what he hit. It was like, oh, I'm guessing that was one of us. And Thumper's like, oh, did you see that? So Thumper's like calling out like, oh, oh, I can't look. Oh, the intestines. And Thumper's just being a pain in the end. Oh, God, I hate that. But they're like, we can't blow rounds killing the stupid rabbit. We got a druid casting spells. We got two direwolves kicking the crap out of us. And we got this running guillotine who's killing us, right? So they finally are getting closer. And at one point, um, <laughs> at one point, uh, uh, who is it? Uh, oh, characters, man. I suck at characters. Uh, Perrin. Perrin is like, Thumper, can you take this good berry? Take this good berry to my friend right over there. He's right over there and he's down. Can you bring this to him? And Thumper's like, yeah, I could do that. I could do that. And he goes, here you go, Thumper. And Thumper's like, hey. oh, so good. Oh, and like the, the good berry juice is running down his lips. And, they, and then like runs the other direction. And they're like, Oh, that little son of a bitch. <laughs> it's like, and everyone else is like, what you think he was going to do? Right? Like, what did he, of course he ate the, of course he ate the good berry and ran away. So then, <laughs> so then they're wiping out. They, they, they've managed to kill the dire wolves and they kill rabbit. They, they knock Ravison out and they kill Moose Jaws. And at that point they look and Thumper is like, you did it. I knew you could do it. You guys are the greatest. I could. You, oh, I wait till I tell everybody how awesome you dudes are. You're you're so good. And what did, what did they do? Oh, and he's like, yeah, I, I cast uh, I cast Toll the Dead on Thumper, and he rolls like a two. He's like, oh no! And like Thumper, the beautiful rabbit, like all his fur falls out and black veins go through his body. He's like, why? Is his eyes sinking? And then he falls over this dead husk, this little baby rabbit dead husk, and, and then candle. Candle says, I gently go over <laughs> and I pick up his little shriveled body and then I boot kick him into the wall. <laughs> it's like, boom. And I was like, you know, and everyone's just dying. And it was the it was the most epic death for a collar that I've ever had. So if you want another tip, use collars that the characters just hate. Even if they're tiny little blue-eyed bunny rabbits, <laughs> because they will enjoy killing them so much.
And that was, yeah, it was a highlight. It was a highlight of the game. I forgot to mention it. So I'm glad, I'm glad somebody brought up Thumper because Thumper is no more. Thumper is not coming back. Unlike my other caller who I have, uh, who's been evolving. And that is uh, Guy Gaz. Where's Guy Gaz? There's Guy Gaz. Uh, Guy Gaz is a halfling, uh, a halfling caller who works for Shakar Ballard, the assassin of, of the Xanathar. And the first time that Guy Gaz... I guess it was the second time they, they ran in. Uh, a caller. A caller is a frontman for a villain. It is a... There's, there's probably better terms for it. I don't know. In worldwide wrestling, they have a name for it. But essentially, it's the, the pitch man. It's the, the character that goes out there and talks about how awesome the villain is and how stupid the characters are and how awesome, like, you know, there's no way you're going to beat them. And they don't do anything. They, they don't, they have like zero hit points and zero AC and all of that. They're a hype man. Yes. And all they do is talk about, oh, you're going to get killed now. You know, you're, oh, you're so screwed. And they just, you hate them and you, it makes you hate the villain more, but they're also great ways to learn about the villain. They're great ways for the characters to learn about the villain. And they're not hostile then. And they're not, they're certainly not dangerous. They're just annoying, and it's very likely they're going to get killed. So the fun bit about Shakar Balar, or about um, Gygaz, is that Gygaz, they did murder him the first time they saw him. They killed him in the middle of a town, and they're like, I think we just murdered a guy. And they like stuffed him in, in a barrel. And then I had a cutscene where Shakar Ballard came and dragged his broken body out of the barrel and resurrected him and saying, like, you know, I have to do this all the time. And, and Shakar's like, I know. And it turns out, or Gygaz is like, I, I know. And guy, it turns out Guy Gaz likes being killed. It's his, it's his thing, right? He, it's his, it's his, you know, he just likes being murdered and brought back to, brought back to life. So, um, yeah, so he's a fun, he's the next hype man for, for, for Shakar Ballard. And, th and Thumper was the hype man for the White Moose. And boy, it worked really, really well. It was, that was, that was a fun technique that worked really, really well. So there's a great article by using WD and UDD game. It, yeah, it's actually came from a Reddit post that was a really, really great Reddit post about how to use WWE stuff in your DD games. Uh, and I highly recommend it. I need two more secrets. So uh, what are the other threads we've got going on? Oh, yeah. So the the go the invisible ghosts in East Haven only steal Shardalon. They leave big boot prints, wide boot prints around town, sometimes huge. And sometimes, uh, yeah, Thumper has a child looking for revenge. Eh, I think we're good with Thumper. I think Thumper's had his time. Anything else about the my, about the the dwarves? Because that's a kind of a big plot. That's you know one of the threads you definitely want to seed in there are the Durgar and the coming of a. I guess that's a secret too. Is the Durgar, the Sunblight, are building a massive weapon to destroy. 10 towns. Here's a big secret. A broad American says, can you elaborate on the secrets and clues biz as part of the session prep? This is part of the session prep. Secrets and clues, I would argue, may be the most important bit of prep that I do and that I recommend in my book, uh, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. The idea of secrets and clues is you want to write down 10 things that the characters can learn in the next session that are relevant to the story or the history of the world or their characters or NPCs. They can, they can be about lots of different things. They are things that the characters can learn in the next game. That's the only real definition. They are short, like think about the size of a tweet. They shouldn't be longer than a tweet, like two or three sentences or one to two sentences, two to three lines. Uh, and you do not determine where the characters find them. 
Instead, you improvise their discovery during the game. Wherever the characters happen to go, whatever direction they take, they may learn some of these. They don't have to learn them. They're not critical, uh, usually. Eventually, some, some of them are critical enough that you're like, I know they're going to learn it eventually. It's just a matter of time where, right? Like the fact that the Duergar are building a great weapon to destroy 10 towns, right? That's an important one. They'll figure it out somehow. I usually end up revealing about five of the 10 in a given game, but I always want to have more secrets than I reveal because I always want to make sure there's a chance for discovery. Secrets and clues to me are the thing that bind together. They are the reward for exploration. They are the things that the characters can get. They're like treasure, but they are information and they're information the characters can get that push them to new areas of the game. So they can be quest hooks, uh, but they can be information that they learn about NPCs. They can be information they learn about themselves. They can be lots of different things. I think one of the most important bits of prep that I recommend is secrets and clues. I would say a strong start in secrets and clues are probably the top two, right? If you had to only pick two, do those two. If you have to do more, locations are really important. Scenes are really, may be important. You know, like, you, you, scenes and locations may be important depending on what kind of game you're running. But strong start and secrets and clues are pretty, pretty useful in any game, right? Whether you're running homebrew or published or a one-shot or a long campaign, it's almost always worthwhile to say, where's my game going to start and what can the characters learn in the next game? So that's secrets and clues. Do a bunch get left behind? Yes. Yes, you leave them behind and that's cool. No one cares if you leave them behind, right? You do not keep them in a database. I get, I had a lot of people argue about this on a YouTube comment thread recently. Just get rid of them, right? You'll, they'll come back. Good ones come back. You'll see that I have a lot of repeats, right? And the repeats are because I know it's important and they're going to come back again. But I don't go back and look at old ones. I did because we like to look at like which ones I used. But generally, I don't look back at old ones. I just come up with new ones every time. And I don't keep track of like, I don't want a thousand secrets and clues. I, you know, throw them away. Only worry about 10. We're, you know, one of the things about the lazy DM prep style, I think that's important, is that we really focus our game, or focus our eyes down to one thing, the next session. I'm not worried about what's going to happen a year from now or, you know, in three months. I'm worried about what's going to happen in an hour and 15 minutes, right? And an hour and 15 minutes for three hours, I'm running a game for some friends. I want to make sure that game, I want to make sure that game is fun. All of my prep is focused around making that game fun. Whatever happens after that, happens after that. And I've got threads, right? Because I know there are games after that. And I know things like the Black Cabin. And I know things like the, sh the Nautiloid ship and the Githyanki stuff. But you can see how fuzzy it is. I don't have maps of the Githyanki ship. I just said a Githyanki ship, right? So, so there it is. What about like a really good idea or secret and clue you have? Do you have a, uh, like a campaign long idea or concept? Yes. Uh, that one is usually the seed, the campaign seed. Like Oral has come to Icewind Dale. Again, I don't, I tend not to like go and look at them. I don't need them, right? Like I know what it is. So, you know, we don't have to prep things we already know. We have to prep things that we need to have on hand for the game itself. And an example is Fantastic Locations. I really don't need to put any here. I'll probably have, you know, I have these monuments, right? Ooh, Ancient Glyphed Altar of Oral might be interesting. What might be another one? Burned Obsidian Well of the Netherese. I don't know about that. They got some illithid stuff. Glowing, pristine, carved rock of Maliki. That could be kind of cool. Monuments. I love monuments. Uh, if you want my list of random Frost Maiden monuments, here they are. Yeah. So I like to just have these. These are usually, what do I use these for? I like to drop in a monument in between each path that the characters take between one location and another. So if the character is going from Bryn Shander to East Haven... And I want to have a scene there, like maybe a random encounter. I like to have a random encounter. I like to have a some kind of backdrop for the encounter. 
and it might be a ruined marble gravestone of Sune, right? So I, uh, Broad America says, I, I, I ask because you just gave me a great idea for an endgame goal for the party cleric, and I want to keep it in mind to plant seeds of the idea. You might drop it in the character notes, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, there's there's always places for that. You know, I, I might have that, but a lot of times I just sort of keep it in mind. I'm Main thing is I'm just worried about the next game, right? Like I'm, I'm busy. I got 13 minutes left to prep my notes, and, and I'm going to focus on what I can do right now. NPCs. So we have a few NPCs that are important here. Uh, I'm going to actually uh, go to the NPC one because a lot of these I've already made. Who was a Rusky Harrow Hill? Oh, that was the old woman who uh, turned out to be an assassin. That was fun. Letitia and the Shadow Hooves. Who are they? Got a lot of NPCs I forgot about. Former bandit who follows Torm. Gina Brand protected. Oh, yeah. Uh, I guess this was hired on. This is my Wednesday group. She looks cool. Mother Nora Icehand was murdered. She was executed. Templeton the Boar. He has little sunglasses on. Spectacles. Captain Indra. Yeah, so Captain Indra. And I think, who is the character's um, patron? They haven't seen their patron in a long time. It's time to catch up with the patron. Not Danica. It's not Duvessa. Hlyn, right? Hlyn is their patron. So Hlyn Trollbane and Bryn Shander at the North Look. So we got those NPCs. Any other interesting NPCs we have to have? So they're going through... I can't remember if they were, I think they avoided going to Torgs or going to Targos, which is good. So I think they're just on their way to Bryn Shander, in which case we don't need a lot. It's important to remember the ghost, Janth Alwar, ghost of the uh, arcane. I'll tell you. So here's a, here's another tip if you happen to be running this one. I just realized, you know, looking at it. So so Janth Alwar is the ghost that has possessed Tor, uh, um, the, the, the kobold in beautiful mine but there is another ghost nas who died it would be actually cooler i think nas is dead a lot of stuff about nas so there's two ghosts and it would be far cooler to have nas as the ghost instead of janth right so i wish i'd replace janth with nas because it's kind of a bummer because first of all the art for her is awesome right that's just awesome artwork i would have replaced janth with nas i think that would have worked better so keep that in mind. You don't need two different ghosts. But now I've already introduced Janth, so Janth is the one. So I'm probably going to have to move some of the NAS stuff to Janth, and probably NAS isn't going to come up, and that's kind of a bummer. Any other NPCs? Uh, what's her name? Uh, Maud? Maud Chiselbone. She looks nice, but she's actually a hag. She's, her sister is Blanche Northcloud, and Agus Wormhide is a... I haven't created anything for her, but she's one of a trio of hags. Monsters! I don't know. I think I might roll randomly. Uh, during, you know, so we know we're going to have Githyanki. Let's take a look at Githyanki. Oh, uh, an important thing. Man, there's so many cool things going on, right? So many cool things. D&D Beyond now has a new feature that they just added, uh, which is you can now roll, uh, if you go into your collections and you create an encounter and you tie the encounter to, uh, we're going to, uh, let's see, make a new one here, create new, and we'll call it Githyanki. What I call them? The silver, silver claw... Githyanki Hunters. This is applied to my Sunday. See how the campaign is Sunday Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Uh, and we can say Githyanki. And we'll have Githyanki Warriors because I think they're the lowest Githyanki. And we add three of these guys. That's considered deadly. That's just into deadly though, right? It's just under the deadly. Uh, so we have four. If Let's do the Sly Flourish uh, Deadly Encounter Building Guidelines rather than using their dumb tool. The Sly Flourish Encounter Building Guidelines tell us that what? That we have... 
six characters of fourth level. Six times four is 24. 24 divided by four is six. <laughs> Three of these guys are considered deadly. Two of them would be about right. That would be just on the edge of deadly. But I think we're going to be a little mean and do three because it's one battle. They're fully rested. I think that's going to work out. But here's the cool bit. So we save our encounter. We've got our Githyanki. We can run the encounter. We've got all the characters here. Oh, one of them is, uh, I have not uploaded, I have not upgraded Shadowhawk yet to a, to a fourth level. You know, you auto roll initiative. They got a 19 and you hit start. I might try this again, but here's the cool bit. When you drop this in, now there's die rolling for them and you can choose, do I want it to just show up for me or do I want everyone to see the roll? And when you roll for it, it happens in Discord. If you've got Avre set up in your Discord chat server, uh, we will go, I will show this. So this is my Discord chat channel and this is my Sunday D&D game. And, oh boy, we can't see that. There we go. See, it says a Githyanki warrior. So watch. I go in here and I say, we're gonna attack, bang. I attack, he rolls an eight, that's a miss, but he attacks twice, so he attacks again. Bang, he rolls a 24 to hit. Was that a crit? That was a crit. So he now inflicts, it doesn't, it, apparently it's not doing, oh, you can do crit, right? You do crit damage and crit damage. 17 plus, oh man, 17 plus 18, right? But when I roll all that, Bang, here it is, right? Critical hit, right? It shows the crit, 24. It shows the damage, 17. It shows the 18, all in Discord. So that's pretty cool. The DM can now roll and have it show up in Discord from the encounter builder in D&D Beyond. Uh, the way you do that, I'm gonna delete all these because I don't want my players seeing it when we when we run our game. The way you do that is you put Avre, you have to have the Avre bot and go Google all this stuff if you don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, you get the Avre bot inside Discord and then you connect it to a campaign. I think it's with the bang campaign. Yeah, DD Beyond campaign links, right? And you can link it to a campaign by, by connecting it to your campaign link. And when you do that, then die rolling from any of the characters that are in that campaign show up in Discord. And now monster rolls show up in Discord. So that means that, you know, it's way easier to kind of manage it. Now, the hard part is, I guess I won't use initiative. Uh, I'll, I guess I'll actually have characters roll for initiative and I will keep it track of, of initiative and monsters and damage inside the encounter builder. And I will use the one dimensional battle map for movement and stuff like that. So I, I still have another thing, which is where the characters, where the enemies are. Um, so we'll have to see how that plays out. But it works really well if you do pure theater of the mind. It means you really only need Discord and d, &D Beyond. And both are free. I, I don't know if you can do the... I'd be curious if anybody knows if you can build encounters and and connect them to campaigns and everything with the free tier of D&D Beyond? I'm not sure. I think so, though. I think you can. So you can, says uh, Sour Cookie. So that means that two free tools give you a lot of D&D to be able to play online. Really pretty tremendous. So very, very cool. Cool trick. And I love that it rolls it through Discord and it, you don't need any plugins. So I know that be, I know that the Beyond 20 plugin did that too. Beyond 20 was fine. A lot of people love it for Roll20, but I found it to be a pain in the ass. And um, the idea that it's now native in, in D&D Beyond is really powerful. Really love it. So that's cool. 
So I got Githyanki. And what I should do instead of, I can actually link to my encounter. So we go to my collections, we go to my encounters, we go to Silver Claw Githyanki Hunters. We will grab that link and we will paste it in here. Silver. I, I find I need the monsters section less often now because I already know what the monsters are and I know I can improvise the monsters pretty easily. So it's not, this section is actually like when we think about where my energy lies, monsters is lower on the list. Monsters are important, but I've got all the books and I've got D&D Beyond, I'm good. Like I can randomly roll monsters really easily. It's not a big issue. So there's a limit of eight encounters without a subscription, but you can just delete them after. Yeah, and I don't, like, who keeps them? Yeah, hang on to less stuff. So what else do we have? Treasure. So who needs treasure? Let's let's poke through and look at the characters and think, is anybody, like, I just gave away a big, cool bit of treasure. So Ilda's got a great sword, a magic great sword, plus one, and it does a thing. I forget what it does, but it's got a kicker on it. Auken has a plus one battle axe. I think he's forged that, I'm not sure. Shadowhawk, the sorcerer, has bracers of defense, but could probably use another magic item. A wand might be interesting. A cool wand. Gore now has the, a powerful amulet. It's a really good amulet that boosts a bunch of things. The amulet of the devout, possessed by Janth. And Perrin, I think Perrin might need stuff. Perrin needs, so what does Perrin need? Perrin needs something. It's time for Perrin to get an item. Perrin, uh, the, the, the player has been out for a while, so he's gotten screwed up magic. Look at his fancy. He's got snow coming out of his. Let's take a look at his equipment. So he's got boots of the Winterlands. What does he fire with? He fires with a longbow. So he is due for a longbow. What if he got a magical Githyanki longbow, a silver longbow? Wouldn't that be kind of neat? What, are there cool magic item longbows? Uh, so bracers of archery those are really cool people love bracers of archery what would what would a cool ability of a of a githyanki longbow be i mean if, does it fire ethereal arrows that might be kind of neat like an ethereal longbow is there any kind of weapon that does ethereal stuff an arrow that pierces through walls is kind of cool isn't there something that does that uh so let's go back here i really like the the single use like the, not the single, I like the single use items, but I also like items that you get like a one time per day kind of thing. So I think like a plus one silvery longbow of the Githyanki Hunter, once per day, it inflicts plus 3d8, which is how much? Uh, nine plus four is 13. I'll do 2d8, force damage. Because he already has Hunter's Mark and other things like that. And can fire through walls. You know, that might be kind of cool. Once per day inflicts plus 2d8 force damage and can fire through walls. Because it fires an ethereal arrow, right? Walls are total cover and can ignore, uh, and ignores total cover. Just one shot. Once per day, one shot. I mean, that's, you know, I think somebody would want that, right? That's a really good item. But it's not overpowered because they can only do it once. I think it's an ethereal arrow, right? So the, the, the arrow is in, in, I don't think there's an ethereal plane, but it becomes ethereal and everything goes gray. A bow that disrupts psionic powers when it hits for killing mind flayers. That's not bad. Like what if it can, uh, while, uh, as a bonus action, let's see. It's mind hunter ability for one minute. I don't know about that. I think it's really powerful otherwise. I think we're just gonna stick with this. For one round, you can see creatures that have 
what? Is there a is there a trigger? You can see the brains of creatures that have telepathic or psionic ability, even behind total. How far is the distance? 50 feet, 100 feet? For one round, you can see the brains of creatures up to 100 feet away that have telepathic or psionic abilities, even behind total cover. Once per day, it inflicts, and, and yeah, on the next shot, and inflicts plus 2d8 force damage. And the key is like, you don't want them firing it up and then walking around and seeing where every mind flare is, right? But uh, 150 feet, like the problem with that one is that means I have to know where they all are within 150 feet, you know? And I might not know. Like that makes it hard for me, the DM, because if like they're in a mind flare ship and they fire it off, you know, they could look every direction and see how many mind flares total there will, will be. And I don't know how many they're going to be. I make it up as I go. So we're going to knock that down to 50 feet away. I think that's cool. I think that's good. I think one of the Githyanki will have it and will be standing back while the other two are up front. I think that'll be cool. I'm good with that. Uh, we'll drop a relic in here too because you can never, you know, you can always have a relic. Pulsing Bone of Azuth that casts Greater Restoration. That looks useful. See? Right away. I'll tell you, random tables, man. Random tables are good. All right. And then we get rid of the... Cruft that I don't need from my because my other game is not the one playing today and that is all set and I think we're good so how do I feel the key to good prep is how you feel and I feel good I feel I got my strong start I think the Githyanki will be cool um the Silver Claw Silver Claw Githyanki they, they skip Targo so I know they're not going there they're gonna head to Bryn Shander they're gonna talk to their patron Lynn at the North Look Inn head to East Haven see the execution of the mage uh, learn about the lost fisher folk, learn about the stolen Chardelon, and maybe learn about some other stuff. The crash ship will probably be later. So I think we'll get rid of that. And I think, uh, we are all set. Got my secrets, got my 10 secrets, got some locations, got some NPCs, good fights. We're all set. So I think we will call it a day. Uh, I want to thank everybody today for hanging out with me while I prep for my D&D game. It is always a great pleasure to do so. If you enjoyed this show and you uh, want to help me out, you can do four things, up to any of these four things, any or all of these four things. One, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Two, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. Three, you can join the Sly Flourish Patreon at patreon.com slash slyflourish. Four, you can pick up my book, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. Any or all of those four things are great ways to support me and uh, the work that I do. Uh, so thank you all very much for coming. Have a great day and get out there and play some D&D.